Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi. Um, it's Monday afternoon. As I mentioned before, I have an unusually unusual weeks. So I'm uh, packing in several different podcasts into one day or two. Uh, it's time for various reasons, um, and uh, this one especially because uh, this is being. This, so I'm gonna do the Haftorah now, uh, the remarkable Haftorah. This is being sponsored by Ruth Rotenberg and Glenn Miller, um, and yeah, and they did it last year also at this time. So I guess tonight must be the yard site of their daughter, uh, Tanyel Gavreya Margalit. Last year was the 16th yard site. This would be the 17th yard site. Uh, had a short life, 18 years, packed full of his result for mitzvot. Uh, I'm uh, humbled by the, uh, the uh, what should I say, the sponsorship, and I hope this will be a tribute to her memory. <coughs> to her memory. Parents must be classy if they want to commemorate it with a sheer with a podcast. <coughs> As I said, I'm gonna do. I want to do the um, haftorah this week. I just finished doing Shnamikarecha Targum, and it's a remarkable haftorah, uh, and it's very confusing uh, chronologically, historically, and I'm gonna give my take on it as I sometimes do. I'll give my construction of the events because here we have a famous story in the book of Jeremiah, Yirmiyahu. Uh, about when they free the slaves and then take them back from being free, and God's angry and blasts them. That's what the Haftarah is about. Um, chapter 34, in other words, in, in the book of Jeremiah. Now, in order to understand what's going on over here, and there are different Chazals, and it's kind of confusing, so I'm, like I said, I'm going to go with my own Glot Mahalach, you know, the best I understand it. Yirmiyahu is a prophet at the end of the first temple, but it's not so simple. When you talk about the end of the first temple, you're basically talking about three kings, A, B, C, uh, Yehoiakim, uh, Yehoiachin, Tzidkiyahu. Now, the guy in the middle you can disregard because he was he's just a marginal figure, a puppet, he doesn't count. Yehoiachim was there for a very short time, three months, <clears throat> let's put him aside. So, mainly, Yermio, Jeremiah is preoccupied with A and C, with Yehoiakim and Tzidkiyahu. Now, Yehoiakim is totally evil, Tzidkiyahu not. Is not totally evil. Uh, in order to understand this, you'll recall that when Jeremiah first begins, the kingdom of Judah, which is where he's living, is uh, happy and prosperous under Yoshio, King Josiah. Then Yoshio gets killed in battle by the Egyptians, by Pharaoh Necho. When Yosh- that's a, a disaster, when the king of Judah is killed, so um, the people of Yehuda put his eldest son on the throne, but the Egyptians depose the eldest son, carry him off, he's never heard from again, and the Egyptians impose on the Jews their own candidate, which you and I call Yehoiakim. Okay? So this guy was bad news from day one because he was put up there by Paro. It's almost like a perversion. The Malchus based of it is now being decided by Paro, Malchus Rhyme. But that, I can't help it, is what happened. Therefore, it's not surprising if they picked Yehoiakim, who was there for a long time in the book of Yirmiyahu, 
Um, he is there because he's sympathetic towards Egypt. And if he's sympathetic towards Egypt, it's not only politically, although that is certainly the case, but it's also culturally, and that too is the case. So Egypt is the headquarters of idolatry and of Odazar, of very heavy forms. The Egyptians worship everything, even animals and pussy ants, uh, as well as other things. So that's what he was into. Now, that's the reason the Chazal described him as the worst of all the kings. It's the Gemara Sanhedrin, whatever. You know, in other words, he wins the prize for the most wicked. And that's, I'm sorry to say, some contest. That means he beat Menashe, the king of Yehuda, who was super wicked, Ammon, and others. There are Gemara's about this. I won't go into details. As a result of what I said, the kingdom of Yehuda, the Malchus based David, of all things, was occupied by an Egyptian candidate. And to make matters even worse, the listen closely, the Egyptians defeated the Jewish army, killed Yoshiahu, deposed his son and put Yehoiakim on the throne. Then they marched forward north to fight the Babylonians. Babylonians smashed their army, Battle of Carchemish. The Egyptians had to retreat back into Egypt. The Babylonians then came down and now they're the major power in the Middle East. But the candidate on the throne, the Melch Yehuda, was an Egyptian candidate. So notice he's put up by the wrong team. And his sympathies and advisors were Egyptian. So he rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. Now that's stupid beyond belief. As Yermiyahu says all the time, if you cannot run with their dogs, how are you going to run with their, with their horses? <laughs> so he rebelled against he took on Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a powerful army, naturally. And he busted him. And he made him promise not to rebel again. And he broke his promise. And by the time it's over, uh, Yehoiakim was killed by Nebuchadnezzar. That's basically how it goes. I'm collapsing a lot into a, 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 a sentence or two. So, at that, all during the time when Yehoiakim was the king, was it 11 years? I forget, something like that. He was anti from unbelievably. He's the guy who took the Navua of Yermio and used it to uh, light a cigarette, you know what I mean, to, to on the brazier, meaning he used it in a very contemptuous way. He did whatever he could to show contempt for the Bonishalolam because the gods he was interested in are the gods of Egypt. I can't help it, that's just who the guy was. Okay? That's who the guy was. So he was determined to exterminate the Jewish religion. Now, eventually, his misdeeds led him to make political disastrous mistakes, and the result, and the result was he was killed by the enemy. Um, he left a little kid on the throne as a successor. The Babylonian army was besieging Jerusalem at the time of the king's death, and the kid, Yehoiachin, after he was in power for three months, surrendered, and that's called Golos Rishon above El. So, Yo-Yo-Kim was gone. All during the time he was king, there was no chance for a guy like Yermiel to get the people to do teshuva, the government to change, start having a hirhurim that maybe they're going in the wrong direction, and so on and so forth. Because whatever happened, Yo-Yo Kim was able to uh, analyze in terms of the Egyptian gods. The Egyptian gods want this, that's why this happened. They don't want that, that's why that happened. It's very frustrating Yermiel, but that's how it goes. But now Yo-Yo-Kim is gone and his son is gone. The Babylonians now, Nebuchadnezzar, 
said, we're going to put our candidate on the throne. That was Tzitkiyahu, Yehoiakim's brother. So this guy was put on the throne, not by the king of, of Egypt, but by the king of Babel. Now, it is disgraceful from the Jewish point of view that Gaim should tell us who our kings are, but that's just how it went, okay? Just get over it. It's a sad period in Jewish history. It does say in the Chumash, Som tosim alecha melech asher meker vechechu, lo tosim alecha melech goy, you know, asher lo meachichahu. Don't get a guy for a king of Yehuda, but nevertheless, right? Nevertheless, um, the guy determined which of the Jewish candidates should get it. Okay, that's how you have it. So this was Sikio. Now, in contrast to Huyakim, Sikio, his brother, had a different character. He wasn't so Meshuggah crazy over Avodah He wasn't into the gods of Egypt. He basically, believe it or not, was open to being a from Jew. In some sense. You understand? He believed in Hashem. He certainly had the opposite of contempt that his brother had. He treated Yermio as as best he could. But his great sin was being weak. And he allowed the, the powerful nobles, the richy riches, to run the country. And they were on the Egyptian team. Even though it was stupid. Not only was it sinful, it was stupid. And a good part of the book of Yermio was criticizing for that. But that's what they did anyway. Okay, Now, having said that, Sidkiyahu is looking around, and things don't look that great. Yermio is able to say to him, look, this country is going off the derrick. That's why all these bad things are happening. If you change, Hashem will make things better for you. That's the basic message of all the prophets. If you do teshuva, if you change, you'll see the economy will get better, the enemy will be destroyed, you know, things like that. Okay? Now, it's clear, I'm giving now the background for this week's Haftarah, which is mentioned in parallel in the book of Yechesko in certain places in chapter 20. So it's clear that one of the problems that Yermio calls to the attention of the king, and therefore the people of Yehuda, is the following disgusting fact. I repeat the following disgusting fact, and that was Jews were enslaving Jews. So in other words, it says in the Torah, you can only have for six years maximum. This is the reason, my friends, that this is the Haftorah of this week, because the Parashat Mishpatim talks about the limited nature of Hebrew slavery, and here they weren't observing that. They have an unlimited nature of Hebrew slavery. Now, when you have limited nature of Hebrew slavery, it's indentured servitude. It's not a slave. According to the Talmudic law, you know, there's no Kenya Goof on a Jew and things like that. But that may be what the law says. Never make the mistake of transposing what it says in the law books on the one hand with what really went on in the other. Because you, you run across the laws of, of, of economics. And the laws of economics are the great gates of horror. The guys, I don't care what it says anywhere in any book. I'm doing what's good for my bottom line. That's all. Now, the story we have this week in this October is fascinating, as you'll see in a second. So clearly, Yermiel must have been able to make a persuasive speech to say, do you want to not be slaves of the Goyim? You want to get free of all the foreign domination? You want to get peace and prosperity and all that stuff? Uh, 
don't dominate your own brothers. Notice, free the Hebrew slaves. You're not entitled that they should be there anyway. So, do, But you were using your power with the police force and the army to hold this group of Jews down in slavery. You hear what I'm saying? They had Jewish slaves, and they were held as slaves by fellow Jews. And if they tried to do anything, they were hurt. So you had to be a slave. So it was like a Hitler. Why is it like a Hitler? But a Jewish Hitler. Now, Yermio is saying, follow the Torah, follow Parshim Mishpatim, and free the slaves that have been there too long already. Okay? And he must have been persuasive, because it says in this week's Haftar that they did it. Okay? They did it. They even had a ceremony in the base of Migdash, where they walked through two. They did a brisbane of a sarm. Mamish a brisbane of a sarm. They chopped the animal in half and walked through it. And that's another that's old fashioned way of taking a very serious oath that in other words, if I don't keep my oath, then I should be split in half and that kind of stuff. That that's that's what that means. Okay? That's what that means. And um it says it says uh uh here. God so I'm angry, the people didn't keep the promise. They took an eagle and chopped it in half. And walked between the two halves. That's Avram Avinu with the Brisbane That was but Abraham saw it in a prophetic dream. Here they actually did it as a physical ceremony. All the big shots, all the richy riches. They walked between the 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 two halves of the of the dead ego, which means they were like Mamish making a super shavua in the base of Megdash. So anyway, you know how it works in Judaism. We take oaths very seriously. It's a big avera to make a false shavua. Right? It's a big, especially you mentioned Hashem's name. <clears throat> um, did I tell you? If, I used to have a book somebody gave me for my bar mitzvah, no less. Uh, Marston Adler. I was a kid. It was called Tears and Laughter from Israeli Courtroom. You know, you probably buy it for a buck on the, on, on the Amazon uh, book finder. It was by a uh, Israeli secular judge, Beit Mishpat. I think his name was Cheshen. I'm talking about a book that I got from a Mitzvah president a million years ago. And the long and the short of it is he had a chapter on Shavuos, taking an oath, which I still remember. And he was a judge in early years of Israel and in the British under Palestine. So even though you had Chilonim and this and that and the other, certain things still stayed by folk memory in the kishkas of the Jews. And one of them was, you don't take an oath. And he said that he was in court, and he ran a secular court under the British and under the state of Israel. And in court, you take an oath. You swallow me, you know, like the movies. The whole truth, nothing but the truth, help me God and all that stuff. And a lot of people wouldn't do it. Why not? I learned at home. I'm not from, but I learned at home you don't take an oath. You see? Or a lady said, I heard 60 cities were destroyed because of an oath. The judge said, where do you hear that? I don't know. Back in Lithuania. You had two people that came before. I remember this. I remember by memory. Two people had a business argument. And, you know, over money. And uh, and obviously, they're going to a bait mishpat, not to a basin. They're not from. And the judge said, okay, we're going to have a trial and you'll have to take an oath. And they said, actually, if you look in the contract, it stipulates, both parties signed, that if we go to court, there's no oath. <laughs> it's in the contract. And he said, how come? You're not from. And he said, you know, I'm from Czechoslovakia. 
My old man told me, you're going to Palestine. I don't know what you're going to keep. But one thing you should keep, don't take a Shavuah. You see? It's in the Jewish kishkas of the old days. You don't do something like that. Now here it's 3,000 years ago. Number one, they did it. Number two, they said, B'Shem Hashem. And number three, they did it in the base of Migdash. Can't get worse than that. Okay? So, Yermiel must have encouraged this to make it a solemn occasion that they're going to do something called the Emancipation Proclamation. Because that is what happened. King Sidkio made an Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, I imagine, it, it does seem in some places, from the book of Yecheskel, the Babylonian army was besieged in Jerusalem at the time. In other places, not so much. My understanding would be that this would be an example of the fact that Sidkio had a good side. He just was a weak individual. Because what happens is they do free the slaves. So that must have been an impressive business. You went around to thousands of Jews. Yidin, mind you. I'm not talking about Geisha slaves. I'm not talking about Evakanani. That's not what I'm referring to. I know an Evakanani is a kind of a Jewish. I'm not referring to that. I'm talking about Evid Evries. Okay? Om Evries. Right? So, they just didn't observe the limitations. They did it more than six years. They did it for life and, and so forth. So they made the, the life of the fellow Jews of hell. And the Torah says, And Hashem was angry, and now they want to do the right thing to appease divine wrath. Fine. After they free them, however, they discover something which I think is, is wonderful for a literature class. And that is, they couldn't do without their slaves. Which means, listen closely, they were enslaved to slavery. <laughs> Get it? Slavery not only enslaves the, the, the slave, but also the master. Now, in a different way. Still better be a master than a slave, you know. One you have to work hard, the other one you don't. But still, just like this one is hooked in the system, the other one also is, is like that. You know, when they had the Civil War, so uh, in America in 1861, so, I mean, the people in the South basically say, guess, we're hooked on it, we can't get, get out of it. You know, forget 1861. You might say there were a bunch of lunatics, uh, what do you call it, states' rights of fanatics and so forth. Talk to me about George, I'm serious now, what I'm saying now, I mean very seriously. Talk to me about George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, people like that. So, they were nice fellows. I'm serious, I'm not being funny. Right? They were good people, moral people. Uh, they did great things for America and so forth. And they were not achzarim, you know? They were not unaware of right and wrong. So how come they kept all the slaves and made them work so hard? Because they did. They made them work very hard. It's just one of the, it's, it's our Parsha today in Haftarah. They said, we can't live without it. I'm, I'm very serious. This is what George Washington would say. This is what Thomas Jefferson, who wrote the Declaration of Independence, he says, you know, theoretically it's wrong. Really, all men are created equal and endowed by the Creator with life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and so forth. But I can't live without it. <laughs> I can't have my estate in Monticello without it. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Now, the counter-argument is, live without it. <laughs> you know? You don't have to have it. Well, from the point of view of Thomas Jefferson and Madison and all these other guys, who I see again were upstanding people, but they were enslaved to slavery. They're hooked on the system. And I believe they would be moded to what I'm saying. If you know who the founding fathers were, I'm talking the ones from the South, they would agree with what I'm saying. They say, listen, it's, I mean, they wrote words along these lines. 
If you go to the Jefferson Memorial in Washington, you'll see Thomas Jefferson they have some writings from him. It says, I shudder to think when, when God gets involved, we're all screwed, you know, something like that. Uh, it's interesting, you know, he, he knew it, but he said, but I'm hooked on it. I can't, I can't live without the slave. I can't live without the maid. Same way you and I, it's not the same way, but the same way you and I are hooked on all kinds of material things. We live in a modern bourgeois culture. I can't live without the cell phone now. I, I, you know, I, I couldn't make it. Right? The other you can't live without a car. The middle class can't live without the indoor bathroom. You know, can't live in Baltimore without an air conditioner. Can't live without it. I can't stand it. I can't, it's impossible. You see? So in other words, it's the flipping of the slavery. We do these things to help us. So we're supposed to be in charge. But by the time it's over, you're worshiping it. That's the problem with money in general. That's the, that's the symbol of the golden calf. The gold is really for me to use. So uh, a person who's in charge says, I'm going to take the, the calf and I'm going to use it for this good purpose and that good purpose. But after a while, I'm just hooked there. I have to have the money. Okay? I have to have the money. I have to have the car. I have to have uh, this material thing. Now, in those days, i got to have my, uh, you know, uh, uh, slaves. I, they're Jews like you are. I know it's not great, but i got to live with that because I cannot go back to scrubbing the floor for myself and I cannot go back to getting hired help. <laughs> Evidently. Because it's mamish what happened this week's Parsha and this week's Haftorah. It says, you know, that after, after, uh, here it is. Hadavra, this is the beginning of Torah. Hadavra Shayyumiyo, Achri Pros Melchikyo Brisa, Mishlein Likodor. So first the king did the right thing and he made an emancipation proclamation. That's exactly what it says. Pros Melchikyo Brisa, Mishlein Likodor. To send the Jewish slaves home. Now, not the Evikanines, right? Not the Evikanines. It says, Ish is Abdo, Ve Ish is Shibchaso, Ivri, Voivria. Okay? The Vilti Avod Bambi Hunimachivish. So you shouldn't slave a fellow Jew. You can't, you know, do it uh, beyond what the Torah says. And, you know, there are, I think you know, I don't have to give you this speech. The Ramam is a famous thing. You can't overwork the Jewish slave and you're really getting a master, etc., etc. And Vayeshim will call a Sarm Bokh Amashabris. And at the beginning, everybody listens. So there must have been a, 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 a quite a, a impression that Yermio made when he said this point. He said, You let him go and you'll see Hashem will take care of everybody well. But then, But then they couldn't help it. They, they changed their mind. And they forcibly returned all the slaves. And they forced them. They were koivesh them to be avonim shvachos all over again. And that gets God all angry, and he said, "I'm gonna wipe you guys out." Right? And and he even says, "I'm angry at the chil Hashem, but tashu, but the chaluish me, Hashem." Okay. And therefore, the result is you're all going to get destroyed with those Jeremiah ads, as they all say over here. So what do we see? We see, slavery is a funny thing. Everybody gets enslaved. The slave gets enslaved as a slave. The master gets enslaved. They can't live without the slavery. Yeah, that's that's what I meant. Even if it'll lead to the biggest Hashem, because they must have seen what a disgraceful thing it was. You know, here they made a dramatic business that everybody's letting the slaves go free. Just imagine the scene. You can now go back to your family. You can now go back to your family. 
all these crying scenes and all the rest of it. And then a day later, a week later, whatever it is, they come back and say, you know, we changed our mind. You're going back to be slaves. In some ways, it's psychologically even worse. Meanwhile, you believed it was behind you, and now it's back back there. When they do that, it's a makabapatish. Then you know the kingdom of Yehud is, is, is doomed. Okay? Is doomed. Because as we say today, they're dancing on the on the deck of the Titanic. Yermio told them many times, this ship is in big trouble. The Babylonian army is going to come away better out. You have a few minutes to do chuba. Things don't look great. Uh, according to some sources, the Babylonian army invaded and conquered parts of Israel. Depends how you read the parallel lines in the book of Yechezkel. I'm not even doing that. But when you, um, and he says, you know, Tzikiel is going to get destroyed and all the rest of it. And even then, you can't do without it, even then. So basically, you know, if I said you could save the life of a good friend of yours, but you'd never again have air conditioning in your life, <laughs> what would you do? You know, you said, well, to save somebody's life. But then the other, the HR is all yes, never again the air conditioning. You know, never again this. I'll never get a cell phone again, ever, ever, ever. You hear what I'm saying? You know, that's where you're enslaved. So, the Parsha Mishpatim is all about the limitations of slavery. It's partly because we want to show that we don't want to turn the Hebrew slaves into a slave class. But it's also because we don't want to turn the masters into individuals who are enslaved to slavery. They can't do without slavery. Which is just uh, very interesting. Um, so it's very powerful after all. Once again, I want to thank uh, Ruth Rotenberg and Glenn Miller and families in tribute to their yard of their daughter and pay Nisham Shav and Aliyah. And with that, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.